0: Good morning, I'm thankful and excited and glad that you guys are here with us today. As we get to uh, worship, we are going to be in Philippians 3, 7-11. Again, uh, good morning, my name is Israel Martinez and I have this uh, blessed privilege of serving here as the lead pastor at Redeemer Church. Um, Irving. And today uh, we uh, have this privilege of coming together as children of God. You are sons, if you know Christ, you are sons and daughters of a holy God. And we have this privilege to come and worship today and learn today from His Word. So I'm so thankful that we can actually know God. This is going to be a ringing, strong theme in our text today knowing Christ and lost. And the Bible says, That we know God because he first knew us or loved us. And so uh, uh, the Bible actually says that we are known by God. And that is how we know him. To know God is a synonym for the biblical idea of loving God or abiding in God, living in God, and having this true belief in God. And so today we're going to talk about knowing Christ in loss. And so let's pray now, pray in your spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit and ask him to be here with us today to comfort us and to guide us as we look deeper into God's word, as we learn how to know Christ in loss.
1: And so many of us
0: have been through loss. And if you haven't, you uh, will. Loss will come your way. In big ways or in small ways, loss will come. Maybe it's losing a game uh, or losing uh, something like a job or maybe even bigger, a relationship. Um, You will lose something that you dearly wanted. And maybe you've lost your your hopes and dreams that, that you had for yourself when you were younger. Maybe like we learned last week, rejoicing in loss seems almost impossible. And maybe the biblical idea that you gain Christ and that you gain life in Christ when you count everything as lost just seems too far out of reach for you to believe. Maybe, again, it just seems unattainable. And maybe you have this desire to know Christ in loss, but you're just struggling. Maybe you're actually able to rejoice in lost right now and have this true joy and hope in truly knowing him. And you just need to hear the gospel of hope to keep rejoicing and to continue to know him more and more every day. Heavenly friends, wherever you are today, our text teaches us that we actually share in Christ's sufferings and that we are to deny ourselves and count ourselves our earthly gains or, or pride and or, or and all our pain and, and everything as rubbish or trash we're to count everything as lost in comparison to knowing Christ so so hear this if you're if you've lost recently or if you are um, in, in the process of, of losing something lament There are a book book in the Bible, Lamentations, where Jeremiah, the whole city is being taken away and being conquered, and he's just crying. He ends up crying in a barrel. Cry, lament. A lot of times in our culture, American culture, it's just be, I'm a military guy, be strong, make it, be a Navy seal, do this thing, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, don't cry. That's a lie from Satan. You need to cry sometimes. You need to feel the loss. That's what Paul is talking about. Rejoicing in loss or knowing Christ in loss. It's okay. There is a time and place to lament the loss, to cry, to feel it, to let the Lord heal you as you lament and face the pain with the Holy Spirit by your side, comforting you. That's who he is, loving you, to take it one day at a time. But the truth is we can't stay in lament. If you're in lament, go through the process. But we can't stay there. When we know Christ in loss, we we don't stay there because knowing Christ in loss actually produces worship. And so, family and friends, God's word comforts us today to know Christ and lost. And I pray you feel comforted by God's word today and that it encourages you to actually keep believing Jesus and to keep repenting of your sin to Jesus as we live in this idea of knowing Christ and lost. You see, we know Him, we can know Him for the first time in our initial salvation, but Christians continue for the rest of our lives in this blessed gift to continue knowing Christ. You don't stop. We don't grow in totally having the market on knowing Christ. We continue to grow. And one of the main reasons and ways Christ blesses his children is to allow us to see knowing or loving him as his ultimate gain and to see everything else as loss. So God loves you. He knows your story. And he desires your heart to be his and his alone. And he wants you to live in knowing him in loss. And so again, I'm thankful that we get to worship uh, today as we learn from the book of Philippians today in chapter 3, 7 through 11. So if you have a Bible or a device, I encourage your eyes to be in the text. If you would turn on your device and be in Philippians 3, 7 through 11 or open up your Bible and be in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. And what we're going to learn is that the church should be knowing Christ and loss, knowing that we will suffer the loss of all things and that our righteousness or our justification is found in Christ. As we know his resurrection, power grants hope in the bodily resurrection of his children. That's a lot, and we're gonna break that down. But remember again that we've been learning in the book of Philippians about this gospel partnership that actually produces unity in the faith. That's what Paul has been saying. He's said this, Uh, this phrase of gain and loss. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he tells the believers in Philippi that they're gonna suffer and be engaged in conflict. It's like, yay. And Paul wants the church to be actually encouraged, not discouraged, encouraged. We say in Spanish, animado. It means like that you would be animated like a little cartoon character that's just a little thing and then he has life, that you'd be encouraged, that courage would be put into you by these hard words. But that this courage would come from this foundation of gospel unity in the church in spite of conflict and suffering that the Bible says is inevitable. So the Apostle Paul has used this word partnership in the original language, which you maybe have heard in church as koinonia. It's also translated community or fellowship. Many churches put this in their name. And we have defined this biblical partnership saying that true partnership in the church is an active partnership in the gospel. Gospel is just the story of Jesus, the declaration of Jesus' story. So a true partnership in the church, the gospel partnership is a true partnership in the church, which is an active partnership in the gospel, which is a close relationship of mutual benefit. Of promoting the gospel through cooperation, sympathy, suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and love. And so partnership is one of the biggest themes in Philippians. and, And Paul has said these themes of partnership, encouragement, and change in people. And a good summary statement for the whole book of Philippians is that Paul encourages this gospel partnership in the church that actually advances or progresses the gospel as it actually changes people and then expands to all nations. And so you see in the, the this book of Philippians, it was written by this guy named Paul, who wasn't really anything special. He was this Hebrew of Hebrews, this smart guy, he says in, in the text last week that we saw a few verses before our text. He says, Um, he was this guy that was zealous to persecute the church. He was zealous to do evil, thinking he was doing the right thing. That's scary, right? And this apostle Paul, who was on the road doing this evil, was then awoken by Christ himself on this, this road to Damascus. And God changed his life and made him this apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul's letter to the churches in Philippi provides this awesome, wonderful example of what gospel partnership actually is within the church. The Philippians shared in Paul's proclaiming of the gospel. They, they, they sympathized with his suffering. They suffered in the gospel themselves. They gave sacrificially of, of their money, of their resources, of their all their time to support the cause of Christ. They learned how to work together and to be this distinct people on display in their city. And they prayed for Paul over and over. And Paul would pray for them. And they prayed for this advancement. Or this progress in the gospel, all as this overflow of deep love born in them by the Holy Spirit. And so at the end of the book of Philippians, we have, or in the book of Philippians at the beginning, we have Paul. He's at the end of his ministry and he's in jail and he feels alone. Um, but we see, we learned a few weeks ago that Paul had these partners like Timothy, this young man that he was raising to be a pastor and he had Epaphroditus who we believe is like a deacon or a servant or a missionary that went with Paul, wasn't necessarily a pastor, but these guys had served Paul in different ways and, and they rejoiced and suffered in the loss for the gospel with Paul. And Paul was wanting the church, he says this in the beginning in verse 127, to live lives worthy of the gospel. And he wanted them to live in unity as gospel partners. And he uses these two men, Tiffany, I'm um, Tiffany, not Tiffany, that's not a man, all right? Timothy and Epaphroditus as these examples of these true gospel partners. And so, guys, we partner in the gospel because Jesus has called us to gospel unity, not pointless kumbaya, but us looking through our differences and coming together to have true gospel partnership, where we hold hands together. And while we may have differences, that's how we become a complete body of Christ. And so we come because Jesus, the God man, came in obedience. To the Father, and he came down to earth to be our humbly exalted Savior who has called us to be obedient in following him. That's how we're going to end our service in hearing and singing. Jesus is called to follow him. And he's called us to be true lights in the world, to, to be lights in the world that can actually rejoice in him and actually have gain in loss. And so again, we're gonna learn in our text today that the church should be knowing Christ in loss and knowing that we will actually suffer the loss of all things and that our righteousness or our justice is found in Christ as we know his resurrection power and that it actually grants hope in this bodily resurrection of us, his children. So let's read our text today in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Again, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Read with me. And Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain gain. Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so again, as we walk through this text, we see uh, that our text in Philippians 3, 7 through 11 clearly teaches and encourages that the church should be knowing Christ in loss, knowing that we will suffer the loss of all things and that our righteousness is found in Christ as we know his resurrection power grants hope in the bodily resurrection of his children. And so look at verse seven with me. Paul says, hey, but whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, everything that I gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. True children of God, true partners in the gospel, do what Paul says in verse seven. We count our gain, our pride, our pain, everything that we put in place of or over God, we count all that junk as loss. Our our fears that when, when we doubt God or judge God, Paul is saying, don't do that. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He echoes Jesus saying that we should be counting our gains as loss and that is how, We can rejoice in loss as we learned last week. And and, and when when we actually, as Paul kind of comes to a conclusion here, when we know Christ in loss, we actually gain. And so we see verse seven teaches that the church should be knowing Christ in loss. We must count our earthly gain as loss. Paul now emphasizes what he means in verse seven here in verse eight. He's saying, indeed. He's all right, I just said, this idea of counting and lo- counting uh, everything is lost and losing, he, said, he reemphasized it in verse 8. Indeed, he's like, pay attention, for real, for real. I count everything is lost. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, because it is the greatest and most awesome and most wonderful thing to be known by God and then to know this holy God. He said nothing, he's saying nothing is better. It's this weird kind of phrase in English because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He's saying knowing Christ is so awesome, it surpasses. It is better than anything else that we can think uh, is better for us. Knowing Christ, being loved by God. This is the, the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Paul says in Galatians, we'll look at it later, that we uh, actually know God because God knows us first. And we'll look at that in a second. He says, for his sake, because he's known Christ, as verse eight continues, he says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, all my pride. He's saying all the stuff that I think that I am as the apostle Paul, that's, that's a pretty high mark. <laughs> he's like super Christian, right? And he's saying, hey guys, I've counted all that is lost. They know his suffering. They know all the shipwrecks that he's been through. They know all the times he was uh, beaten, put in jail, all the names he was called. Paul has suffered physically. And then the Bible says he had the storm in his side, like he had physical, uh, I mean, physical pain. He had that too. And, and, And you can imagine the emotional anguish and doubt and lack of confidence. I mean, what if, we left the church right now and cops just came and arrested you and took you to jail and you had no way to explain what the heck happened, you would feel so embarrassed, right? Like, I, I, I didn't do anything. And you're blasted all in the news as this criminal, cyber criminal, or whatever thing. If that would happen to you, just imagine how, how emotionally drained and, and how much suffering you would feel. Paul, he, he, he couldn't plead his case He was in jail suffering and he says, I count them, I count all my pain, I count all the good things, all the bad things, I count them as rubbish, as dung in order that I may gain Christ. There's this thing that happens is when we lose those things, when we put those things to death, when we realize they're not valuable, we actually gain Christ. So in gaining, we will suffer loss that we have to realize that and accept that. If you are really I'm gonna pursue Jesus Christ, you will lose things. It will not be easy. It doesn't mean that we go seeking those things. We don't seek persecution or seek suffering, but as Paul says to Timothy, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Ouch, it's not easy. Know that we will suffer loss in all things is what verse eight shows us. That's the, first, the, the, the next uh, kind of a point that we see. And in, in that, that we must count our gain as rubbish. And when we count our gain as dung, when we do that, we actually gain Christ. And so in counting our gain, um, that's where we can actually start to see the complete story. When we start to see Christ, in counting our gain in Christ, we see the gospel and we remember this initial creation where God knew what he was doing. He wasn't confused. He didn't create and everything got a hand. He was like, oh, no, 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 Satan's come here, come here. That's not what God did. He's a better storyteller. We like movies, right? We like stories. Why? Because God is the ultimate one who wrote the story. That's what the gospel is. What is the gospel? It's the story of Christ. In uh, Christmas, we say, Matthew opens and it says, the story of God with us, God dwelling with us, that God has this revelation of himself to humanity and it starts with creation and that he made everything good. He made everything good. He made humanity good. He made fruits and vegetables and dirt and the air and all this stuff. He made work good. The Bible doesn't even say work is bad. So if you hate work, you got a problem. Working is good. Don't overwork. Don't be too driven, but don't be lazy, right? That's what, We're gonna talk about that. That's what Jesus kind of is getting at. The point is, in the creation, God knew what he was doing. He was writing this beautiful story where he knew, he created Satan. He created the demons. He knew that Adam and Eve would fall. He allowed them to fall. Why? This is the fall. So in creation, we see the fall. And Christ allowed this to happen so that we would, what, ultimately know him, that we would see our brokenness and see our, the Bible talks about this idea of depravity, that, yes, we were created good in his image. Don't let Satan lie to you and say that you're worthless, but in that, God wants us to be humble. God gives, uh, it says, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, like Paul, and gives grace to the humble, like me, <laughs> right? Hopefully the, the, the proud, I'm, I'm proud, not the humble. I'm proud, you're proud, we're all proud. And God, he, 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 he opposes that pride and he will give grace, that salvation to the humble. What does it mean to be humble? When you, Once you say you're humble, you're not humble anymore, right? it's like oh snap so how do we be humble humble is, is is realizing your humiliation think of that word humiliation looking back thinking of all the sins that you've thought that you've done that nobody knows about but God knows and he still loves you through that he still sent his son to die for that and that's what we see in the fall the fall propels us to the redemption we'll talk about that in a second you see the creation and the fall. So let's look at verse nine and we'll see this redemption where we find Christ. You see, knowing God starts with knowing with God first knowing us. We don't know God first. The Bible says he first knew us. He's the creator. It makes sense, right? Paul says in Galatians 4, 9, but now that you have come to know God, Paul says again, but now that you have come to know God, oh, says, or rather to be known by God, if you're God's child, he knew you from the foundations of the earth. He saved you. He wrote the story with you in mind. And he has you on this journey to know him more and more. It's not your ch- your choice or your will that knows God. Now, he uses our will. He uses our choice. You have choice. You have a will. But he's beautifully designed this thing that he knows more than you. And, and he's saying he knew you from the foundations of the earth. You are his son and daughter. I say this a lot, but I think it helps. If I told some of y'all that you are actually... Jeff Bezos' son or Warren Buffett's son, right? And that you had this inheritance as soon as you leave this building of $250 million. I don't care how super Christian you are, you're gonna be like, oh snap, I'm quitting my job, I'm buying a ranch, I'm buying a boat, I'm going to Hawaii or whatever, right? You would have a little more of what we say today, swag, confidence, right? And guys, we have been known by the Holy Spirit. God, the king of kings, and we have the privilege of knowing the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are on this journey where the world may never know us, where you may never have fame, where you may never be something. Some people struggle with that, with, especially in Dallas, with attaining and, and keeping up with the Joneses and being the next big thing, and some people suffer with laziness and apathy like Eeyore, if you've ever seen Winnie the Pooh, just I'm just living life. Oh. Wherever you are on that spectrum, okay, we all s- are in one of those things. God has called us to know him. He's given you value. He's given you skills. Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knows himself. He's confident. If you don't know the things that God has given you, God is saying, wake up. Look at me. Know me. I've given you. No matter what your age is, no matter where you are in life, he has gifted you with stuff as the body of Christ. And he's calling you to play not to sit on the bench, but to play. And so in that, guys, that's what Paul's saying. Not that you have come to know God, rather to be known by God. He says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want, um, to, to, whose slaves you want to be once more? He says that in Galatians. And the point is um, that, guys, that we are always growing and knowing God as his children. We never arrive. And we can still sin. The Bible says we are not perfect, but the Bible does say we are being perfected. We're being completed. It doesn't mean we're we're gonna be perfect. We're coming to an end. There's this Greek word, philosophically known. It's a Hebrew idea too, of coming to an end, of, of maturation. And this is why we need the gospel every day, not just when we were saved, when we said a prayer when we were kids. I said a prayer when I was a kid but I know that God really saved me and that he, he's been with me and I've made a bunch of mistakes, but he has been with me. The spirit was testifying to little 10-year-old me and saying, you're mine. And some of you maybe said a prayer when you were a kid and the spirit is, has never been testifying. Maybe you've lied to yourself. It's okay, get it right with Christ now. Know him. You're like, I don't know when I was saved. Repent and believe now. Walk in repentance and belief now. Don't let Satan uh, control your past and mess with your brain. Just walk in Christ now. Christ knows when he saved you. We need um, to be knowing Christ in lost in every moment of every day. We need to know Christ continuously, not just at a church service, not just once during the week, but as we live our lives, making disciples with the body of Christ. That's how God's children operate. They are ones who are obedient, who, who keep the law. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected, meaning we can actually live a lifestyle of repenting of our sin and growing in the knowledge of believing Jesus. When God says, love me and love people, he's reminding us to walk in repentance. Repentance is a changing of the mind. That's literally the Greek word. And a turning away from sin in Satan's kingdom and turning to God. This is the invitation you've been given. That's power, to say no. Jesus was the ultimate master at having the power of denial. That's why he calls us to deny ourselves. We're going to sing that song again at the end of the service. He says deny. Is it easier if you're the strongest person in the room to just go and like Hulk smash, right? That's not strength. That's, that's like physical strength, but emotional strength is restraint. It's the king of kings, the man who was this perfect God-man who could just bring the angels. And he said, no, I'm going to endure. I'm going to actually deny myself. There might be things I want to do, things I could do. These are for those ambitious people, those who want to take over the world. Those sometimes that the enemy will use good things. He'll use Christian vocation. He'll use Christiany things to make you want those things more than him. Or he'll use the things of the world. Satan will come and use those things to deceive you, not God. Satan will use those things to deceive you. He, 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 he's not dumb. But, guys, knowing God, again, uh, allows us to live these lives of repenting and believing in Jesus. And as Christians, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can actually sin. There's no perfection, but our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not in ourselves. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't live condemned. We know ourselves. That's what a humble person is like. I I know me. If you knew me, man, you would not like me. I know me. And Christ knows me. And in Christ, we have hope to live a lifestyle of repenting of our sins and growing in the knowledge of believing in Jesus. It's what Paul says again in in Galatians 4, 9. And so I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 together now in context. Paul has said again, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. It's how how he started the letter. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. In verse 9, and be found in him. God finds us. He knows us. same thing Jesus is saying. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Find Christ, this idea of knowing him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's the point. He's saying, it's not anything I did. It's not the goodness in me. It's not the the, the record of, of all my degrees or all these things that I've done or all the things that I haven't done. He's saying, no. But that which comes through faith or belief is the original word there. Faith and belief are the same idea. Belief in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith or belief. You know, the Bible says that belief doesn't come from you either. (laughs) Neither does repentance. God grants repentance and God grants belief. We don't even produce the belief ourselves. That's humbling, right? Oh, man, I thought we can think we save ourselves. The Bible says the opposite. Children of God are awoken by God just like Paul was awoken on his way to Damascus. That's humbling. You didn't save yourselves if you're sons of God. God saved you. That's the miracle. That's what makes you go, if we saved ourselves, then we would be God. That's the point. If we had the power to say no to sin, we would save ourselves. The Bible says no. We know Christ because he first knew us. And so as we have read at the end of verse 8, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And he says, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, not having a justification of my own. That's the same word in Greek. A justification or or, or my own rightness, we could say. The rightness doesn't come from me. The justice doesn't come from me. The justice comes from Christ, but that which comes through faith in Christ, this righteousness from God, again, that depends on faith. So our righteousness is found in Christ. There's no self-righteousness from the law. We can't save ourselves from doing good things is what he's saying, but rather this righteousness or this justice that comes from faith in Christ. And it says that faith, we can see the idea that faith in Christ equals this righteousness from God that depends on faith that he gives us. God Gave you that. God knew your story from the beginning. He knows all these, so many things are intertwined, guys. I went to this conference yesterday. We didn't even know where we were at. I just saw all these, all these brothers and, and people that I've known and how we've just randomly, even this, the, this older gentleman that spoke, he's, he's encouraged me several times during my faith. He, he grabbed my arm and said this really encouraged He didn't even know who I was. <laughs> but I was like, that guy has encouraged me so much. He doesn't even know it. And so many things are intertwined if we just look up and see Christ and know him and see the wonder of who he is and this privilege that we get to live. And you see, if we know the gospel story and understand the creation and the fall, we will see Jesus and we'll see him in redemption. This is where he meets us and knows us and allows us to know him in this repentance and belief. God has called us to change our minds. That's what it means to love God or to live in God or to know him is walking in this repentance and belief. You're not getting resaved. If you're Christ, no one can pluck you out of his hands. But if you're Christ, you will walk in repentance and belief. You will walk in the confidence of the son and daughter, not as Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett's son, but as sons of the king. And, and if you've counted your righteousness as lost, and have Jesus' redemption, which is crediting to you righteousness, it's giving, putting righteousness in your account, and you will know his resurrection power. That's what the next few verses say. That leads us to this future bodily resurrection where like we just saying there will be a day, guys. There will be a day. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. They say, Paul says, that I may know him. He's going back to that knowing him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's power. And I think we can see a little bit of the power of God. We think God is this weak, like Santa Claus, Ned Flanders, like, do doo do He's just like the Easter bunny. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't. God is strong. God is powerful. The old King James would say, God is terrible. Hmm? Like a dinosaur, we call them terrible lizards. Not because they're terrible or bad, because they're strong. That's what it was saying. God is strong. He's the strongest thing. He's transcendent. If we would see him, our brains would explode. But he's brought the king of kings, the God-man, Jesus, down to earth so that we, it makes him imminent or close. And that's how we see his redemption. We we can't see it through the Father. Our brains would explode. That's why he sent the God-man to earth, this God who was human. So that we could know him. And the Bible says this, and this is hard for Christians today. A lot of churches won't talk about this, they won't touch this. I didn't make it up. Get mad at Paul. And that we may share his sufferings. Whose sufferings? Jesus. We're not going to die. It doesn't mean we're, we're, we may. For me to live as Christ dies, gain. That's your call, your ultimate, that you you might die. And some of us may not die. We may not suffer like Paul. Not all of us are called to be the Apostle Paul. We're a body. But the point of he's saying that his suffering is not just for Paul. It's for all the believers. He was saying all the believers at at Philippi. What does that mean? Becoming like him in his death. This lifestyle of denial is what he's saying. This lifestyle of not trying to gain something, money, status, privilege, or, or, or just an easy, lazy, comfortable life, whatever one is you, if you're the, the lazy man or woman or the driven man or woman, whichever one you are, he's saying that's sinful. Don't do that, deny that, and, and know me. Know me in your loss, in the loss of comfort or in the loss of, of pride that by any means possible, look at this, this is Paul's heart, he's like, that by any means possible, if I die, no matter what happens, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, he gets it, Paul is, he gets it, this is the hope we have in Christ, because Christ resurrected, as he just said, guys, we will be resurrected, there will be a day where we will have no more pain, and no more suffering, And, and And we will get to rejoice in Christ and be with him. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. These verses show us that we must know his resurrection power grants hope in the bodily resurrection of his children. Guys, if you are living hopeless, remember, I'm not saying don't lament. Lament. But there's hope in your lament. There's hope in your lament. We must know his resurrection power. We will actually share in his sufferings, guys. But we become like him in death, and hallelujah, we will have resurrected bodies. I may be wrong. I think your resurrected body is like whatever you look at in the mirror and wish you looked like, I think that was was good. hey, not bad, not bad. It's going to be that guy or that gal, right? Oh, not bad, not bad. You know, thanks, God. Well, I don't know. It could be totally different. Uh, It could be like eight foot five or something. I don't know. But what, what, whatever, I always wish I was like 6'3 or 6'4, you know. I was like, oh, not bad, not bad. I'm tall, strong. Um, I'm like five nothing. <laughs> whatever that is, guys, there is a hope, a real hope. You will be able to touch your arms, and you will have real arms and a real face, and there will be no more tears, like your tear ducts. Maybe they're out. No more tear ducts, right? No more pain neurons or whatever is in our body. I'm not a scientist. But we are like him in his death as we share these temporal sufferings on earth and count them and everything as lost compared to Christ. Because, y'all, there will be that day and that day the the, the, the Bible calls it the day of the Lord when the king will come back. The way he ascended and he will restore everything, including the children and uh, these dead ones, the ones who are dead and the ones who are still living. We will all have these new bodies and we'll be fully saved, the Bible says. You're saved initially. Saved in the past, you're being saved, that's the whole, once you get saved, the rest of your life is being sanctified, being saved in the present, the Bible says, and we will be glorified, saved in the future. These are all biblical concepts. Sometimes we have salvation messed up. The Bible says you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. That's Paul, not me. And so our, our text talked about this justification that we become righteous, or saved from our passing. And in our text, again, talked about counting anything that we have as lost, which describes a process of sanctification, meaning becoming more holy. We could say holification, meaning that Christian maturity, that's the process of Christian maturity, which is our present state of salvation. And then only through Christ, guys, we will be glorified when we get our bodies back when Christ comes again. And this is the hope that we have in Christ, that he will restore all things and make all things new. In in this idea of restoration, that He's coming again, there will be a new heavens, there will be a new earth. This is the hope that we have. It's not just angels floating around. That's you don't become an angel; you become a a, a, a better version of a human. You become a new human. The, God is the, this restoration. Part of the gospel is also known as new creation. He created. Sometimes we forget the gospel story. We talk about the fall in the redemption of Christ, and this is fine. This is true. This is how the gospel makes sense to us. But then remember, he created and he's also recreating. He will recreate or restore. That's the bookends of the gospel story. As we know the full story, we grow in knowledge of Christ. And guys, as the church, we should be knowing Christ in loss, knowing that we will suffer the loss of all things and that our righteousness is found in Christ as we know his resurrection power grants hope in the bodily resurrection of his children. And guys, this allows us, as Paul has said in the beginning, to live lives worthy of the gospel, to live lives worthy of the gospel. Where we can proclaim, like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain no matter what comes our way. And so gospel partners know and love this gospel story. We know and we should be know the story as we, we've we counted Christ and the story of, of our redeeming God as gain and everything else as loss. You see, knowing Christ means we gain. And in this section of Philippians 3, 1 through 11, um, that was what we looked at last week and this week, Paul is echoing Jesus' teaching of loss and gain. And we're going to end our service singing and then just hearing these words from Jesus in Matthew 16, 24 through 7. Um, the Bible has so many things that are saying They're coming back to this gospel idea. It's not saying, sometimes it is saying different things, but there's this big theme pointing to Jesus. So listen to this. And let's end with these words that connect uh, to our teaching of how to live by knowing Christ and lost. Jesus said it best. In Matthew 16, 24 through 27, right before Jesus has just promised to his disciples that the church, gospel partnership, that's what Paul is getting at, that the church would prevail here on earth and nothing would stop the church. The text says in Matthew 16, 24 through 27, it says, then Jesus told his disciples, his learners, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, not self-actualization, not seven steps to a better Christianity or a better version of me. Not getting 37 degrees, no, that's not what it says. I know there's a lot of things I could do. I could get, I'm not, maybe I'm trying to be like Paul. I can get degrees, I can do music, I can do a lot of things, who cares? Who cares? A lot of you can do a lot of things. You could be running big companies or doing all this stuff. Who cares? God doesn't care about that. He cares about us loving him. Now denying yourself doesn't mean to, to sit on your hands and don't do anything. It's not what he's saying. Look what he says. But well, you shouldn't be motivi- motivated by your, what, what, what is your gain, which is either that lazy, comfortable life or that driven life. He's saying, deny that. Take up your cross. Take up this instrument of torture and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're trying to find your life and, and save yourself, you're gonna lose your life, actually. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sounds like Paul, right? We gain, we gain. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. He says in verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's scary. People do this. They chase the world and they chase glory. They chase a comfortable life or an ambitious life, a selfishly ambitious life. He says, or what shall a man give in return for a soul? For the son of man, listen to this, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 is what I always leave at a restaurant for someone. <laughs> I think it's a gospel call. I, I, I put, I put my, uh, I'll put the website of the church and I'll put my little this, Matthew 16, 24 through 27. It's a gospel in, in a few seconds. And so guys, my encouragement is to heed the words of Jesus and know that from our text today, again, that we should be knowing Christ in loss, knowing that we are gonna suffer loss of all things, but our righteousness is found in Christ when we know his resurrection, power, when we know the gospel, we know the power of the gospel and that it grants hope in the bodily resurrection of his children. And so that allows us to live lives worthy of the gospel and we can proclaim for me to live as Christ and to die is gain no matter what comes our way. So let's worship our King to let us pray. Your Lord, allow us to worship you now. Thank you for the privilege to be your sons and daughters and to come um, just to worship you now, Lord. As we sing in response, move our hearts, Lord, to not um, <clears throat> have this impulse to gain anything other than you. Lord, soften our hearts. Let us rejoice in loss, knowing you in loss. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.